Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. The Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. My name is Daniel Bunn and it's a joy to be with you today. Uh, I am an Old Testament professor at ORU and I teach regularly in Sunday school here at Redeemer and occasionally have the opportunity to stand up here and preach and I'm always honored to be here. Uh, Today in particular though, I'm a little more excited than normal because we're continuing in our Genesis series and we happen to come today to a passage of scripture that has been central to my own personal journey for a couple decades. When I was a senior at ORU, uh, we were tasked with identifying a passage in the Old Testament and writing 40 pages on it. And at that point, 10 to 15 pages seemed daunting, so 40 seemed impossible. So I thought how I would even go about finding 40 pages worth of material to say about anything, let alone one passage of scripture. The strategy I came up with was I thought I might pick one of those really weird passages in the Old Testament because surely there's a lot to say about those. I don't know if you know this, but there is at least one or two weird passages in the Old Testament if you haven't read it. There are hundreds of weird passages. Uh, For instance, we have a talking donkey. We have a bear that mauls a bunch of young men because they taunt a prophet We have a woman who puts her son's foreskin on her husband in order to protect him from getting killed by the Lord. Yes, that's all in the Bible. Weird passages. Uh, I ultimately landed on a different one, and it's the one we happen to come to today, and it's the mysterious wrestling match involving Jacob that's found in Genesis 32. If you want to go ahead and open up there, I'll be reading from there in a second. Genesis 32, uh, Jacob wrestling. So in my process, back when I selected this text, I jumped in and started doing research. I started reading the text over and over. I started reading what people had said about the text. And I learned pretty quickly, I just wasn't convinced that any of the interpretations I was seeing really made sense of this really strange text. So that sort of led me down this process of trying to consider alternatives And in the process, I came up with what is a unique interpretation of this passage. And when I say unique, I mean I am like the only person that in the history of reading the Bible has argued what I'm going to argue, uh, which is either a really cool thing or I have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'll leave that up to you to decide. Uh, Having this opportunity, what I thought I would do today is share with you all on this journey, walk you down the path I went down Uh, invite us all to enter into this strange text and see it again. For some of you, this will be the first time you've heard this because, again, I'm the only one that's ever said this. Uh, For others of you, I have shared this in a couple of contexts here at Redeemer, so you've heard this before. But for all of us, I think this is an interesting and fun enough conversation that we can all join in this together. I do want to say up front, if you leave here today not agreeing with me, that is completely fine. Totally fine. You won't be the first person to disagree with me, and you probably won't be the last. Uh, In fact, my PhD supervisor, when he first heard my argument, he said, and I quote, that it is wonderful nonsense. So you won't be the only ones to think I'm crazy. 
So let's look again at Genesis 32, and we're going to be reading verses 22 through 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Yabok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent all of his possessions over. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So that's the passage, and an obvious question emerges. In academic terms, the question is, what the heck is going on here? Who is Jacob wrestling, and why? As I dove into this passage and saw what others had to say, I recognized, to my surprise, there is a wide range of interpretations, a really wide range, uh, but they all sort of coalesce into three categories. So the first category of interpretation, Jacob wrestles God. Jacob wrestles God. Now by God, some interpreters mean like capital G, the God of Israel. Others suggest lowercase g, maybe a Canaanite God, one of these foreign gods. And still others have suggested pre-incarnate Jesus. But all of these I've grouped together because in some sense they're arguing Jacob is wrestling God. The second category of interpretations, Jacob wrestles an angel. Jacob wrestles an angel. It could be an angel like we see elsewhere in the Bible. Could Some have argued a demon. What, what all these have in common is they're arguing he's not wrestling a man, but he's also not wrestling God. It's somewhere between. He's wrestling an angel. The third category of interpretation, Jacob wrestles himself. Now, by this, interpreters might mean he's having a dream experience. Others have suggested maybe it's like a psychological struggle he's having as he prepares to face his brother. But in some sense, he's wrestling internally. He's wrestling himself. So these are the three main categories of interpretation I, I, I came across. And if I'm being honest, I, just, I was unconvinced that any of these handled the text and all the details in it. I saw problems with these interpretations. I saw weaknesses with these interpretations. For instance, a couple problems. The first problem I saw comes to us from verse 25. There we read in the text, when he, the, the opponent, saw that he could not overcome Jacob. Now that's an interesting note given to us readers by the narrator, because the narrator is taking us readers into the mind of this opponent for a moment, 
And it's at the point where this opponent recognizes, he sees, he's unable to overcome Jacob. Now, that's a really strange note if this opponent is God or an angel. It's hard to imagine for me the God of creation being unable to overcome Jacob. Now, one attempt to solve this problem, some interpreters say this is where God allows Jacob to overcome him. That sounds nice, but my problem is that's not in the text. It says he saw that he could not overcome him. Another problem in verse 26, we learn that this opponent desires to flee before daybreak. That's a really strange detail of this is God or an angel. Is God sensitive to the sun? Does he burn easily or something? Uh, Why does God need to flee before the sun comes up? One attempt to solve that problem is to say that this is really about protecting Jacob because if he were to see God's face in the daylight, he wouldn't survive because we read elsewhere in the Bible, anyone who sees God face to face will not live. But my response to that is, do you really think darkness can prevent the glory of the Lord from being made manifest? Just because he's encountering God in the dark, does that make a difference rather than in the light? I'm I'm inclined to think not. So those were a couple of the problems I saw with these interpretations. But then I saw some potential weaknesses with each of these. So, for instance, the first interpretation, Jacob wrestles God. It surprised me to learn that that's primarily based on what Jacob concludes. At the end of the battle, he says, I saw God face to face. He's the only one who says that. And might I remind you, Jacob is not always the most reliable interpreter. I'm thinking of the time when he accidentally slept with the sister of his, the woman he was supposed to marry. He's shown himself sometimes to be an unworthy interpreter. So this whole conclusion is depending on Jacob. So that's not that it's wrong, it's just that's a pretty shaky foundation. Well, what about the second option? Jacob wrestles an angel. This isn't based on the text in Genesis at all. The word angel does not show up in this passage. Instead, it's actually based on Hosea. In Hosea chapter 12, Hosea says, reflecting on this wrestling passage, he says, uh, he, that is Jacob, strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. So it's not, Hosea's there, Hosea says what he says, but it's not in Genesis, so that's interesting. And then Hosea, we don't have the time to get into it, but Hosea may not be as clear of a supporter as he seems to be on the surface. And again, that's the whole foundation for the option that he wrestles with an angel. So it's just weak, there's not much to it, that's the basis. The third category, Jacob wrestles with himself. This is an intriguing option, But the main problem here is it's not based on the text at all. There is no passage anywhere in the Bible that suggests that this episode was a dream or some sort of psychological struggle. It's just not there. This option seems to be based on problems people have with the first two options. They don't like the idea of God wrestling with Jacob or an angel, and so this is a solution that emerges that prevents those problems, but I think leads to some others. So that's it. Those are the three options. Those are the main reasons why people hold to those options, some problems with those options. After months of sitting with the text and reading these options, I just, I felt unconvinced. I saw all of this and thought, 
is there another way because I just cannot buy into any of those options without recognizing some of the problems. So that caused me then to spend several weeks diving back into the text itself, reading it and rereading it and reading it again. And then finally, one day something in the text caught my attention in a way it hadn't before. I'm ashamed to admit it took so many weeks to get there, but eventually I saw something interesting and it was, it was what we see in this passage uh, in, in verse 24 from the narrator. The narrator tells us a man wrestled with him. That's all the narrator says. A man wrestled with Jacob. Doesn't say God, doesn't say an angel, doesn't say he wrestled with himself. And this is all the narrator ever says in this passage. So what surprised me was to look back and realize no one had really ever even considered very seriously, what if Jacob wrestled a man? That wasn't even one of the options that got mentioned and considered alongside the others. And it was surprising to me because that is what the narrator tells us. He wrestled a man. So I thought that would be worth at least considering to see if there's anything to that option. So first of all, there's this piece, the fact that the narrator tells us he's a man. That's interesting. Then we come to those problems I just mentioned a moment ago. The opponent cannot overcome Jacob. If it's an angel or God, I, I, I have some theological problems with that. But what if it's a human? Well, if it's a human, it, it's not necessarily as surprising if he can't overcome Jacob. Well, what about that second problem, the desire to flee before daybreak? Again, strange if it's God or an angel, but what if it's a human? Well, it's not maybe as strange, and in fact, I thought of a possible reason why a human might want to flee before the sun comes up out in the, the dark desert before the sun rises, the human might want to flee to prevent his identity from being revealed. So that was an interesting thought to consider. So, where I ultimately came to, it, what I, the argument I wanted to put forth for consideration in this paper I was writing, what if Jacob wrestles a human? What if he wrestles a human? So that was the argument I wanted to consider. I thought there was enough in the text to at least invite consideration of that. It handled some of the problems of the other options and it resolved some of the issues in this text. What if, you what if you wrestle as a human? That was the first step in my journey, but of course, that first step then leads to a second step. If he wrestles a human, then who? Which human? Well, in my research, I, I, thought, I, I thought this through and I came up with three options. Option one, this is just some unnamed random human that shows up on the scene. Uh, we're never given his identity, it's sort of a mystery, but it's just some person that shows up. That was, that's possible, but there's just nothing really in the text. It doesn't really take the text forward. It leaves us sort of with some uncertainty. So I wasn't fully sold on that option. So I, I thought of a second option. What if Jacob wrestles his father-in-law, Laban? Now, if you read this story, you'll know in the previous chapter, Jacob had left his father-in-law after decades with him, and they left on a bit of a sour note. Uh, there was some reconciliation, but readers know that things weren't quite what they should be. And so perhaps Laban comes in at the night in a sneak attack, tries to overtake Jacob and retrieve what he believed was rightfully his, these women, these children, these possessions. That's interesting, but it was still for me, it wasn't, there wasn't much to that because we never hear from Laban again 
Nothing in the text really clearly points in that direction. So it's interesting, but there just wasn't much to it. Well, then I thought of a third option. What if Jacob wrestles here, the one who has been his opponent since the beginning? What if he wrestles the one whom he has recently feared? What if he wrestles the one who has threatened his life, his brother Esau? Well, that immediately sounded interesting to me because, again, Esau has been everywhere in Jacob's story. He's an important part of this story, so it would be interesting to make the case that it is Esau. So I started looking back through the text. I could see obvious interesting implications of that, but I wanted to see if there was anything in the text that might support that sort of conclusion. And so I dove in again. I'm doing research, and I found some interesting pieces of of information that I thought might support this interpretation. So the first piece of support I found, where I, I recognized there were many connections between this wrestling passage and the passage that comes immediately after it in 33, which is when Jacob encounters his brother in the daylight. There are lots of connections, even at the level of uh, just the chronology of this event. The wrestling passage ends with Jacob limping away as the sun rises, and 33 opens with him looking up from that encounter and seeing his brother coming. So the two are clearly tied together, but then there were some really interesting connections in these, between these texts. The first connection I noticed was that the key action words in these two passages, 32 and 33, are similar and may even be related. So the key word in that wrestling passage is wrestle, right? And I have some Hebrew up on the text if you want to practice your Hebrew today. Uh, but the word for wrestle in Hebrew is avak, Avak. Now, what you might not know about that word, this is an extremely rare word. In fact, it only occurs in the whole Bible in this passage. Now, anytime an author uses a rare word, it's worth asking why. Why not use a more common word for wrestle? Well, what stood out to me as interesting was the fact that a few verses later, in chapter 33, verse 4, we get the word embrace. And in Hebrew, it is havak. So we have avak and havak. You hear the similarities there? They sound similar, and they may, in fact, be related to one another. And in 33 verse 4, what's happening is we read Esau embraced Jacob. So what am I suggesting? What I started to wonder is maybe the author gave us that rare word for wrestle because that would then stick in our minds as readers if we were reading in Hebrew. We would think that's a really weird word and it would sort of linger in the back of our minds until a few verses later we read the word embrace. And we couldn't help but then think back to that word for wrestle because they're so similar and maybe even connected. And so what I'm then suggesting beyond that is maybe the, the storyteller who is really vague in the wrestling passage about what's going on, maybe this is a subtle clue that he wants us to think now as we watch someone embracing Jacob back to the one who wrestled with him. So maybe it's this subtle way of saying the one who now embraces him is the one who previously wrestled with him. So that was just an interesting connection to observe this, this word usage. There was another interesting connection a few verses later in chapter 33 in verse 10. 
What's happening in this story is Jacob is trying to give a gift to Esau, but Esau refuses it. And so Jacob says in verse 10, he says, please receive this gift from me, for truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now there's no way a reader of that text, hearing him say that about Esau, wouldn't remember what he had said the night before at the end of the battle, where he literally named the place face of God and said, for I saw God face to face. You, you can't help but think back to that moment. This is an intentional connection. And what I'm suggesting is this is another subtle clue given to us by the one telling us this story. Think back to what happened the night before. And maybe this one who now is in front of Jacob, the one whose face Jacob now sees, is the same one whose face he saw the night before. So these are just a couple of interesting language connections, vocabulary connections. I saw between these two texts, there are several others we don't have time to discuss, but that was the first interesting possible support for this idea that it's Esau who wrestles with Jacob. All these connections that invite us to read these two passages together. But there was a second piece of, of support that, that stood out to me, and it was the wider story and how this wrestling passage connects to it. So if you're reading along in Genesis, you get to chapter 32, and what happens is the first part of the chapter deals with Jacob worrying about Esau. The la then you get to chapter 33, and it's Jacob seeing Esau. With the usual interpretations, this wrestling passage is sort of an interruption in the story. It's Esau, random wrestling match with either God or an angel or someone that never gets talked about again, and then back to Esau. With this theory I was considering, if Jacob wrestles Esau, well, that's interesting because it now ties this wrestling passage better into the wider story. Before, during, and after the wrestling, message, uh, wrestling passage, it's all about Jacob versus Esau. So that was another interesting possible support for this idea is the way it ties this wrestling passage better into the, into the story. And then there was a third possible support for this, and, and it's this question that I, I ask, are Jacob and Esau really reconciled in chapter 33? Interpreters have long admired the example of Esau in chapter 33, because the last time we saw Esau, he promised to kill his brother, and then in 33, he embraces him and seems to reconcile with him. Beautiful passage, preaches well, but... There's a detail in the text that's always stuck out, stuck out to me, and it's the way the passage ends. In verses 12 through 17, something interesting happens. Esau says, hey, Jacob, why don't you travel along with me and come back to my homeland, my home territory? And Jacob says, that's a kind offer of you, but you know, we got the children, we got the animals, we're gonna be stopping to take lots of bathroom breaks. We're, we're gonna travel behind, but we will come. We will be there, I promise you. And then he says, okay, well, let me at least leave some soldiers to walk along with you. And Jacob responds with a very kind offer of you, but you go on ahead, we'll be there, I promise. We're gonna follow right behind, we'll be right behind you. And then look what happens in verse 17 of chapter 33. It says, but Jacob went to Sukkot. Now, if you don't know the geography of this land very well, that's okay. He told Esau, I will head south with you. And immediately he went west. Now the question is, why would he say that? Why would he say he's going to go with Esau if these two brothers are so reconciled? 
Why wouldn't he just say, thanks but no thanks? Well, maybe from Jacob's perspective, the reconciliation isn't as sincere as it might appear to be. Maybe he has reason to think that going back with his brother would be to put him and his family in danger. That's true of any of the interpretations. This detail in the text is there. But with my interpretation I was suggesting, it would then make sense. They're not really reconciled because it was Esau who tried to take him out the night before. And maybe this is just plan B for Esau finally to get his revenge on his brother. So, summarizing what I've said so far, in my process of looking at this text, I became convinced that there's enough material here at least to consider that the the narrative of Genesis 32 itself points toward a human opponent, that that's an option at least worth considering. And if it is a human, the most likely candidate is Esau. So what does that all mean then for how we would read that passage if this interpretation were true? Well, I can imagine a situation in which Esau, who is close, we know he's close already, sees an opportunity to sneak in and take Jacob out at night when they're alone. You'll remember from, from earlier in this story, Jacob and Esau had regularly been described as quite opposite one another. Jacob was described earlier in Genesis literally as a tent dweller, and his brother is described as this hunter, this successful hunter. Physically, they've been contrasted with one another, so you could imagine Esau would think overtaking his brother would be an easy challenge. But then to his surprise, they wrestle all night and they come to the point where he recognizes he's unable to overcome Jacob. So then uh, he, he desires to flee before the daybreak. Why? Because he knows once the sun rises, his identity will be revealed to his brother. And then when that doesn't work, he results to begging and pleading and Jacob, being Jacob, demands a blessing. That's true to Jacob's character throughout his story. Then Esau plays a part much like, remember earlier when these two, two brothers, uh, we, we, had, we had Jacob pretending to be Esau in front of his dad. We had him putting on animal skins in chapter 27 and pretending. Here we have Esau pretending to be who Jacob wants him to be in order to get out of this situation. So that's the interpretation I threw out as worth considering. Jacob wrestles a man, and if a man, Esau makes the most sense. Now, I've spent two decades working through this text, thinking it through, regularly trying to pick apart my own ideas and convince myself of the alternatives. I hold this all lightly. I throw it out as one interpretation among others. And I'm happy. If, if you have heard this today and you have thoughts, I want this to be an open-ended conversation. I'm happy to hear from you. So you've had, if you've had problems in particular with, with what I've had to say today, I want to put my email up here so that you can email me with any concerns you have, I'll take all the emails, please. No. <laughs> no, but seriously, I will put my email up here. If you have questions or comments or thoughts, I want to, I'm happy with this being an open-ended conversation. Again, my goal isn't to tell you this is the only or right interpretation and to convince you of it before you leave today. If anything, my goal in sharing this with you today is to show you how when we come to a text, any text of Scripture, with openness curiosity, wonder, with no fear that we might ask the wrong questions. Sometimes we come away with fresh eyes and we see things we hadn't seen before. And my hope in all that is that we can all learn to wear our interpretations lightly and humbly. 
We're not always all going to agree on everything with one another. But it's not our interpretations that unite us. We are united in Christ. And even when we disagree with one another, we are united as brothers and sisters in Christ. As we struggle even with these complicated and challenging texts together, we can draw closer to one another and closer to God through the process. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I thank you for the gift of Scripture. I thank you for those passages that often comfort us, but I also thank you for those ones that can be inclined to disturb us and frustrate us. I do pray that as we seek you through Scripture, that we will be formed in our humility and in our trust in you, that we will be formed in our love for one another above all things, above being right. Be with us as we go forward from this into the complexities of life, where we don't always have the easy answers. But may we, in the uncertainty, come to trust you and know that you go with us, your spirit will empower us. We give you thanks in all things. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected with all that God is doing here at Redeemer, you can visit RedeemerTulsa.org or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Have a blessed week.